Welcome to the Korean American Parenting Podcast, where we share the idiosyncrasies, struggles, joys, and pains of being a Korean American parent, not just Korean or American, navigating the unique cross-cultural challenges of parenthood. I'm Jerry. And I'm Jang. Join us each week as we chat with fellow parents and parenting experts about topics like academics, health, both physical and mental, and culture. And of course, how current events such as COVID has impacted all our lives in numerous ways. Our hope is that through these conversations, we'll grow together as confident Korean American parents, raising confident Korean American children. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and follow us on Instagram at Korean American Parenting. And be sure to share this with a fellow parent if you find the show helpful. Thanks again for tuning in. And here now is this week's episode. Welcome to episode one of the Korean American Parenting Podcast. I am your host, Jerry, joined here by my co-host, Jang. Hi, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are staying safe and healthy and staying sane. Most of us have our kids at home, regardless of what age they are. And depending where you are in the country and perhaps in the world, um, they might be home with you full time. They might be going uh, to school for a little bit while. And if you have older children, uh, they might be in their dorms or they might be on their way back. We're in September now. So I think it's going to be a very interesting month because I I think schools have uh, prematurely opened for different other non-health reasons. And We'll see. So best of luck to all of us as we navigate these challenging times together. This is our first episode and hope you had a chance to listen to our brief intros in episode zero. And so today on on episode one, uh, Jang and I are going to share with us, share with you a little bit more of our own personal uh, journeys into parenthood. Uh, You'll get to know a little bit more about us and we'll share some thoughts on parenting in general, how we have navigated COVID parenting together with our own spouses and just talk about a whole bunch of other things that we think might be relevant for you or just things that we wanted to talk about. So, uh, Jing, why don't you kick us off and, and share with us and share with the audience a little bit more about your parenting journey and let's get to know you a little bit better. Well, <laughs> so parenthood has been a very interesting journey for me. I think it was something that I never imagined I would have in my life. Um, uh, so, and I think once I had the child, I, um, every step, has been something that I both struggle, but also cherish. And so that's been um, interesting. So just to give you some background. So I uh, had mentioned it in the, in, uh, the, uh, the intercession, but I grew up in Korea, um, completely Korean, um, born and raised. Um, and then I came here to the United States um, to attend the boarding school in, uh, for high school. So my parents stayed on in Korea while um, my siblings and I were sent over here. Um, And so my journey, my personal journey for myself has been um, interesting because my identity as uh, a Korean or American or Korean American has been kind of fluid throughout my uh, stay in America. And then when I had the child, that's been something that I've been struggling a lot. Um, And so, that's one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast, um, knowing that I would like to discuss, well, my own journey of um, having an identity as an Asian American from going from just Korean and then, you know, just American. And I, I want to raise my child as a full Korean American. And what that means for me, I think is very important. How about you? 
I think those are all fair questions. I mean, we're going to talk about it a lot more today and on every, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, most episodes, but it's just our, our big question. One of the big questions, in addition to your basic parenting thoughts and concerns is how do we do both, right? Um, how do we make them successful or happy here uh, in America where we assume that they're going to grow up and spend most of their lives, but also, you know, stay in touch with their language, their culture, their food, and because we're not going to change the way that they look, right? So I think those are things that are all uh, top of mind. You know, as for myself, uh, I was born in Korea, and so we were there until eight. Um, so very traditional, uh, you know, same, you know, very, I don't know, I still remember doing all sorts of like extracurricular stuff, um, even in like first and second grade, which is insane. Um, and then we moved here, you know, spent the, the early part of elementary and junior high school in, in Fullerton, which is like the most Korean place outside of Korea. And then, you know, a little bit of time in New York and, and came back. And so, you know, when Kyung and I got married, so we met now seven years ago and got engaged six years ago and got married five years ago. And, and, and so fast. to put, uh, well, I mean, shit, when you know, you know, uh, <laughs> it was about a year and a year. Um, but, you know, part of that timeline was also uh, dictated or I guess, you know, um, motivated by the fact that at some point in our early relationship, we had decided that it would be worthwhile for us to pursue me going back to graduate school. Mm-hmm. So in the fall of 14, we applied to a number of different business schools and by, you know, we knew we were going to go somewhere. Um, we just didn't know where, obviously, you know, school decisions don't come immediately. So um, in, in March, we knew that we were going to go to Michigan. And so, um, and so we planned our, our wedding date in July ahead of any potential move. And, you know, I could have gone to Pittsburgh or to, uh, to North Carolina or, you know, any of the schools that I, um, you know, wanted to go to. And so why that's important is, you know, we knew that we were going to get married right before school. School would have been, was a about two year journey. And when you go to graduate school, obviously it comes with the assumption that you're doing this, you know, for an exit that is some sort of profession or job. So, um, you know, we had loosely talked about like, what do we do with kids? And so, and I think, you know, so you actually, from the get go, you guys really wanted kids then. I I think having kids was always a part of the, not not the assumption, but something that we wanted to. And I think, I don't know if if we overthought it or not, but it was like, okay, when is the worst time to have a kid, right? Is it in, when you're in business school, when you have a lot of stuff and you're trying to get a job and there's a lot of activities to do. Oh, that's, that's the conclusion, right? right? Because the other, the other idea was like, why don't we wait until you graduate and then you start a job and at least, you know, different life stage. And it's like, well, shit, then that's hard because we went to business school for me to pursue strategy consulting, which by its nature would have been a travel job, you know, like, and there was a, a deep is that a desire at the time as, as most people do, like, yo, when you're, you know, first couple of years in the job, like you don't, not that you don't want any distractions, but like, you know, is that, you want to focus to be, on what you're doing, yeah. Right. Is, is that mm-hmm. a time to introduce new elements to your life? So anyway, um, so, you know, we went back and forth and it wasn't like complete family planning, but at, towards the end of my first year of business school, um, we found out we were pregnant. So I was like, cool. It was interesting. You know, I, I think it was nice that part of it that I was going to school and it was flexible and I had this summer vacation. And then, you know, that summer was really, really 
challenging. I was technically office out of Chicago, going to a client in Denver, but came back home to Michigan during the weekend. Oh, it's a long drive. Well, it was, I mean, I, I did like airplanes and buses and trains and rental cars, like doing this triangulation. Um, basically, I had to be in Chicago on Friday for work stuff. Monday through Thursday, I was in Denver. So I had this and like weird triangulation. Yeah, like, I think out of the 10 weekends that we had, like I was there, I was in Michigan eight and then Kiwa came out for two and, you know, because mm-hmm. it's hard. Like, you know, yeah, for, for, for all the moms listening, they're like, you left your pregnant wife at home by, yeah, I did. Like it was just, <laughs> we had to do what we had to do, um, you know, but we, we got through it. And then for me, like, it was really nice. Um, I had signed my offer letter to go into consulting a week before our first son was born. And so, you know, school, I don't know if, if folks have been to business school or whatever, like that last semester is really not the most academically challenging environment, period. So, um, yeah, so like I was able to luckily be home with my son from his birth until like eight months in oh, when I actually great. had to start going to work. Yeah. Well, between school and like everybody at school knew I had a kid. So it was like, you know, Jerry's not going to come to anything that's not really required. But how- for you like i mean i guess um it like having the child was it like what you had thought about like what you had imagined i don't know what i imagined but um i don't know if other dads do you or like other even I, I love kids um but i think that something that i wasn't prepared for and ha- happy to get your thoughts on it and you know your yeah. conversations with with your husband too like your identity changes overnight mm-hmm. your priorities change and I don't know if there's any amount of talking with somebody else or reading a book or listening to this podcast that will prepare you for that overnight sensation of, well, shit, like I am no, like I'm not even near anywhere near the top of my own priority list, especially as a first time parent, everything is new. Um, And keeping the baby happy, fed, slept, alive, pooping, whatever, like that's the priority. So, you know, I, I think it was, you know, in, in, in the moment and in hindsight, very challenging for me to sort of live with this new identity that like I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Um, that like, and it wasn't like I was this like selfish person that I just did whatever the hell I wanted without regard for other people. I think, but I even think that's then, kind of a crux of the parenthood. Like I still struggle with it even now. Like my kid is what almost four. It's the I think the the hardest part of parenthood in general is not being able to do what you want to do at the at the time that you want to do. <laughs> yeah. Even like going to the bathroom. Yeah. Right? Well, well, sure. I mean, with, with our second kid, I was like, ah, she'll be fine, right? Like, <laughs> it, you're you're a little bit more not willing, perhaps, but like, you know, based on what you've learned. Oh yeah, she's not gonna die. <laughs> right. Or like. I'll let her cry for a little bit. I just need to go use the restroom or, you know, do like quick, quick, like run and run and do stuff. The challenge I think for me was additionally too that like, you know, when you're in an environment like graduate school in a small town, like Ann Arbor, like the social life is so compacted, mm-hmm. right? So you know, the things that are going on and you know that the events are happening and you're just like, you can't and, and so this was like, yeah. So, you know, I mean, how did you juggle? Cause I mean, I think, so you're in the thick of like, kind of like the, business school and the social aspect is a big part of business school I hear um, <laughs> from my husband who went golfing every day during his business school. That's also year. a good way to do business school, yeah. Yes, <laughs> I wasn't there, so I don't know. But um, I know as a young 
I mean, I, as a new mother, I was not young. I was um, at what I call Jerry mother, <laughs> geriatric mother. Um, but but um, as a new mother, I think um, I think it was. I think if my husband had to go on those social things, even though I I would perceive it as work, I think it would have been like very detrimental for me. Like, how did your how did you guys deal with that? Um, or maybe you you dealt with it and the wife didn't. No, I mean, it, it was challenging, right? Because I think mm-hmm. part of it is, so for the first couple months, I think it was two or three months, you yeah. know, Kyungha was home with us. Um, you know, her, her mom came uh, okay, for a yeah. few weeks early mm-hmm. on uh, to help with everything. I, imagine doing that in a one-bedroom apartment because we got the one-bedroom apartment not thinking that we were going to grow our family in Michigan. And mm-hmm. by the time we, we were going to move in six months anyway, so it wasn't like, yeah. oh, let's get a bigger place for like, you know, just that time. But I think it was challenging too, given the circumstances or the timing of everything. He was born early December. And then so like we had finals and everybody, you see all your friends like posting like, oh, I'm, I'm doing like fun stuff. And you're having your own fun, but then you have to redefine what fun loving time is. And it was, it's cold as hell in Michigan. Like you ain't going out, <laughs> yeah. right? With, with a newborn. Yeah. yeah. You can't go. You certainly, yeah, and like you know, with with a with a new baby and your mother-in-law and your postpartum wife at home, you're not going to go out to drink with your friends, right? So, I I think that was frustrating. I I think that was something that I wasn't necessarily ready for. That's my perspective. I'm sure if and when eventually, um, you know, maybe Kyunga will come on the show and share her side of the story, which is going to be wildly different. Well, how was it for you to have that mother-in-law there? Um, you know, because I think a lot, uh, a lot of times, you know, uh, Korean mothers, both in-laws and and biological mothers, can have a very different idea of how to care for the infant, right? And I, I think a lot of my friends have that problem, difficulties too. I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that at length. Um, it's hard. <laughs> I, I think it's hard because one. You don't know as a new parent what you want. Mm-hmm. I didn't do as much reading and Kyungwa did most of the reading and the research. And so she had her idea of how she wanted things to go. Um, and, you know, she has a science background, too. So she knows more just in general about stuff, right? Biology. And from our parents' perspective, whether it is the mother-in-law or my own parents, like, they have survival ship bias. Mm-hmm. They raised us and we turned out okay. <laughs> and so mix that with 30 plus years of memory fade. They go, I did it this way and y'all turned out fine. So let me do it my way again. So this is why my mo- my own mother is not was not allowed to be in- <laughs> alone with my <laughs> child for more than 10 minutes at a time. <laughs> uh, like literally, we banned her. Uh, <laughs> it's hard right and and i think you know it's it's super complex um at least for both uh Kyung-wha and me i have one brother who just had a kid about a month mm-hmm. ago so um you know and, and Kyung-wha is the oldest of three so she was the first to have a you know kid too so both of our parents were becoming grandparents for the first time and so perhaps it might be a little bit different with, you know, the, the second, third grandchild or whatnot. But everybody means well. It's hard, right? Because for us 
But for our parents, we're always going to be their kid. I don't care if you're a parent and you're 30, whatever. I, I can't think of like specific instances, but there certainly are like frustration points, especially in a very tight space. There was one bathroom, like we always ate together, you know, and, you know, so like it's hard. And, and going back to that identity crisis of like, holy crap, like I, I don't get to do anything by myself for myself. You're also in a very tight space. And so where do you escape to? Where do you get, you know, alone time? I think COVID has done that for even not well, sure. parents, I mean, right? Yeah, I, which, which actually kind of might be nice, like on a sidebar, like for our second who uh, turned 18 months, we haven't oh. used any of the, the Ergo babies or like our, our stroller wheels haven't got any use in like, you know, because... Right. And I met, and I remember with the first kid, I was like, holy crap, every time we go somewhere, it's like an ordeal. And we got to pack like 18 bags. And, mm-hmm. But we haven't done any of that. So it's just kind of nice. I, I think it's challenging, especially when it's your first kid. You don't know what's going on. The, the upside like of having my mother-in-law around, like, there's like great food all the time. Right. And it was just like, it's kind of nice. I, I think space had a lot to do with it. I think location had a lot to do with it. You know, we were in Michigan in December and January. It was cold as hell. You're not going to go outside. I, I made the necessary trips to go buy food or go to the market or whatever. But like outside of that, it was really hard, I think, to, to balance that. How, how did you guys deal with that with your first or I guess your, your kid? I totally agree with your identity kind of uh, shifting. And it was very interesting because for me, like, you know, my background is child psychiatry. And I'm like, oh, you know, all my life, I think. The reason I didn't want to have a child at all, like we got married and um, I had told them uh, I didn't really want children. And um, I love work- working with children, but I didn't, never wanted to have my own. Um, so Why not? I'm fine with that. Well, I think it too much responsibility. <laughs> um, That's fair. But, but I, I think I was very scared. Um, uh, I felt like, I feel like um, um, words. I didn't want to mess up another child. <laughs> why? Why another? Why do you use the word another? No, word? I mean like I didn't. I didn't want to be the culprit of messing up a child. Um, I think um, that was kind of like my own like fear. I think, um, and I know how much of your life really goes into uh, raising a child, and I didn't think. I was capable of that. I was your like, like how you were. I was very engrossed in my own career. Um, you know, I had this like ten year medical journey, like get to uh, being a doctor, and I wanted to focus on that, and that's a big part of my identity. And and I was just deadly scared of having anything that was going to rock my boat. Mm. I really loved like you know having my husband, and and so he was very cool about it um he always thought he was gonna have children but if i don't want to have one we don't want to have one is kind of what he thought um and then we i think it was the fifth year that we had met um so we had gotten married maybe two three years before that um and and then we started thinking about having children um and i did have a miscarriage um and so that also like set me back a really um, whole another year because I didn't want to have one to like get pregnant afterwards that. Um, but we did end up having a child and 
um, all along, I thought about all these emotional development of the child, how I'm supposed to raise this child, but I didn't realize physical <laughs> aspects of having a child. Um, I didn't realize how painful <laughs> delivery could be. <laughs> um, you know, I, I knew I was going to have a, a, a epidural. I was like, yeah, epidural is going to be fine. It did not work. <laughs> Um, and I was just in a lot of pain. And um, I think the, the difficulty of like not sleeping, um, not, not being able to sleep all, um, the way that you want to sleep with infant, um, all of this really took a toll on me. So yeah. I had a lot of help um, uh, with my husband and uh, my mother-in-law who practically just kind of moved in uh, with us. And my own identity as a person who who is very independent um very career oriented um all of that kind of fell through to me i felt like a terrible mother not very uh, good at it at all like in fact my husband was actually much better at handling infants um mm. uh and just really anxious all the time that i'm gonna like the kiddo is gonna die on me <laughs> I, <laughs> it's true it's true i, I think I mean, we all have that i think it was on a different level my husband tells me <laughs> there was there was a period early early on in our, in our mm. first kid where it's just like is, is he breathing is he mm-hmm. you know like he hasn't made any noise right and then even though you're tired as hell you're like no he's gonna stay alive and the way i'm gonna ensure that is i'm gonna stay awake until she gets up and <laughs> ha- right. hand him off right because I think that that's very common theme for most most first time parents. <laughs> My husband did not share the feeling. <laughs> um, he was just like very joyful. Like he was just so happy to have his child um, to the point where like he was so nat- such a natural. Um, even my his old mother was so surprised. Um, and I felt like the attachment was so hard for me because of my own anxiety. Um, and then having that identity crisis, because this was the first time ever that I stayed home <laughs> um, and not working. And um, that really was hard because I felt like I should be the good mother and the good um, housewife, which I'm terrible at. We've decided that I'm terrible. Um, and so I think in combination, um, it was a like a big whirlwind for me, uh, much more of a uh, turmoil than I had imagined before having a baby. How much of that pressure that you, I don't know if you put on yourself, but that you experienced, was, do you think, motivated by or had was impacted by your own professional journey? Because um, you, you shared with it, you shared with us, at least with me, um, on the Asian American sort of your, you know, not roundabout, but your non-traditional path to, you know, becoming a child psychiatrist, was that detour or that elongated journey impactful in you wanting to focus on your career because it had taken so much for you to get there and you perhaps thought that having a child would, you're introducing more potential bogeys to where you wanted to get to professionally? I think the professional thing was actually a little bit of flip because um, um, as being a child psychiatrist, all of my mentors and 
my colleagues were um, very pro baby, right? Um, but mm. they were also like people who thought well, you should stay home for the first three years of the child's life. <laughs> it is very important. Um, and uh, I quickly realized that was very that's detrimental to me just in general. Um, and you're right, I think because my whole life had been geared towards having uh, a career, when I didn't have that, uh, um, I had to really recalculate who I am and what were my priorities. And so that was um, all in the head a lot. It was a lot of expectations for myself from myself as well. And um, my mom is an OBGYN. Um, she's an old school OBGYN in Korea where she used to have her own, well, she not still has clinic, but she delivers all her babies. Um, she wow. was on call basically 24 seven every day, seven days a week when I was growing up. And I did not want to be specifically, I did not want to be that kind of mother. And so I wanted, I went a little too extreme on the other side where I wanted to be there all the time and um, didn't realize that that didn't really fit me. So it's a journey. I think I, I'm learning about myself as I have a child and so that I can be, I, I learn what's not right for me. Um, and that's been a big struggle, but also kind of a uh, enlightenment in some ways. Yeah. It, we're all positively or, or negatively impacted by the way we were raised, right? You either want to emulate your parents and, mm -hmm. and duplicate some of the happy moments or the things that they did for you. We learn, having been the recipient of their care, it also informs, I think, how we want to change or, um, you know, adjust how we want to parent our own kids. And so I, I don't think everything about any parenting situation is all bad. There are, you know, always good things that you can take away from it. Um, I think that's very general for most parents, but I think, uh, I think as a as a bicultural, bilingual parent and Korean American parent, uh, yeah. and this is kind of the crux of our, uh, the reason I wanted this podcast is because we have a additional silent burden um, as a parent um, that we put on ourselves. Maybe the society does, but yeah. um, to kind of work on how do how do I uh, introduce this biculturalism to my child. Yeah. And yep. what kind of mixture do I want um, for him or her to be exposed? And it's in my control in a way, but I have to also come to terms with certain things, just like parenthood, just in general, where yeah. what, what I thought I would do sometimes doesn't work out. <laughs> um, so that's been a struggle. Like, how do you deal with that? Like, what do you do with your children about being a Korean and an American? It's a daily struggle. Yeah, especially just right now, right? Yeah. Maybe now it's a little bit easier to control because you get to control more of their environment, um, whether that's a you know more, more stressful thing or not. At least um, for the better part of six months, we've been all of us have been actively at home with our kids, so we mm -hmm. you know ha have more uh, control over what they watch, what they read, um, you know, what you say at home, and, and what language you speak, and you know, even when our older one was going to you know, daycare and preschool, like, it was weird. The kid co-switched on me. It shocked me. But it's, you know, at well, home, it's 100. What do you mean, mean code switch Tell me about that. Like, 
100% it's appa, right? At home? Yeah. Yeah. And then one day I showed to pick him up and he goes, daddy. And I was like, what the hell? Right? <laughs> and then we go out to the car and he goes, appa. And I'm like, how do you oh. know? Yeah. And, and he does that with, you know, mommy and oma and emo and auntie. Like, no. Yeah. All yeah. Right? So he, yeah. So he knew like at school, <laughs> he'd use English words to describe us or even talk to us. And then as soon as we got in the comfort of, you know, we, we talk about IQ versus EQ, but this is like CQ. This is like cultural quotient stuff, right? Like, oh, how do you how? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oddly, it was like one of my proudest moments as a dad. I was like, holy shit, like this is, I don't care if you, you know, academically how you turn out, but like this is, you're like aware. You have self-awareness. You you know your surroundings and, um, you That's know, you're. That's interesting because some kids, um, some kids grew up, who grew up bilingual um, don't necessarily uh, think that it's two different languages, right? Yeah. And, and then, you know, and it's, and then, you know, since, since uh, speaking on language, like, I, I've played, I've made new rules up for him. I was like, you can watch stuff on Netflix, but I get to turn the dubbing into Korean. Oh, and did like, he like that? Know, like, no, he hates it. Um, <laughs> but that's the, only, that's the only way he gets to watch, right? Like, Pororo is obviously a Korean first, and then, you know, some shows. And so, if, if you, parents, if you don't know, go on Netflix, you go to settings, and then in the subtitled section, there are actually very many shows that you can actually put not the subtitles, but the actual voice in various languages. I should get Netflix. And so, yeah. So, uh, like, I forget how it was, like, um, this cartoon called Octonauts. It's like, oh, eat yeah. seafood. Yeah. Or mm-hmm, seafood, mm-hmm, not seafood. Mm-hmm, you shouldn't eat them. Mm-hmm. Like, sea animals hanging out and, like, mm-hmm. just watch that in Korean. And then he's like, why can't we watch it in English? And like, it doesn't exist. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> there, there's that. But I think even before language thing, I, I think as, as parents and for, for us, especially uh you know we weren't going to stay in michigan we were going to take a job and i had agreed to go to a consulting company that allowed us at least uh, some choice in where we could go because home base doesn't matter because we're going to be traveling so much i think a lot of folks especially if they live differently from where they grew up or you know if they're just nomadic in nature like you think about like where do i want to raise my kids right yes, so that's a i big, think that's a very struggle for us because we're both it's a nomadic. huge struggle Especially in, in graduate school where you're talking to the majority of your school friends who are, who are not Asian, who are not bicultural, certainly not at that parent stage, you know, basically got a bunch of, sing, you know, single young white folks who are just like, I'm going to wherever the best, you know, opportunity, right? I'm going to go to San Francisco. I'm going to go to New York. And I'm like, one, it's expensive as hell to raise kids there. And, and two, when, when you think about, you know, like some of our friends went to Minneapolis and some other folks went to different parts. And then the first thing for me is like, what's diversity like, right? Is it, mm. are there pockets of certain neighborhoods there that will allow us to have a community? And that I think is, again, the silent burden. That's a, yeah, that's like the silent burden that we share. Yeah. And and I don't know if, you know, other Korean American parents listening act, actively think about it, but it is, you know, for, for me personally, and, and, and some folks may agree, some folks might not, but like, I would like to strike a balance that's somewhere where we're not the only Korean family in town, but I also sort of don't want to go back to Fullerton where I grew up because there's so many of us. My husband grew up in Fullerton. 
yeah, like in ninety two or ninety three. He claims he claims that when he he's so old is what he says that, that there weren't that many Koreans then. I, dude, we're we're about the same age. I'm gonna call him out on this. The school district would send letters home, like English in the front Korean or English in the front Korean in the back. Well, he says that like, when he he grew up when he first moved there, um, they didn't have ESL classes. I, maybe well, so I went. I got there in '92 in the third grade. So if he got there a little bit earlier, even though we might uh, be similar in age, that actually might because it well, the, 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 the I, it happened very quickly. It. Let me calculate. I think he was seven when he moved out again, and that was eighty-five. Okay, so eighty in the mid '80s, <laughs> definitely different. But between eighty-five and ninety-two, mm-hmm. like the Korean population of Fullerton probably fourfolded or fivefolded in, in like it was exponential growth. Uh, we moved there because my uncle lived there already, so there's a lot of chain migration, that sort of activity as it is. Um, but by the time I got there, like they hired, um, uh, I remember her name, Esther Shin. Like she became our, she was the counselor plus ESL teacher and unofficial like Korean parent liaison because she was, and eventually she like sort of uh, probably just by coincidence, like when we got to junior high school, like she was on staff at the junior high school. And, you know, oh, like, so you had a familiar face. That's good. A little bit. Um you know, but it was so you don't you you want your child to be in a uh, exposed to diversity, but not not be confined to a lot of Korean Americans is what you're trying to say. I don't think it's I, I if if we assume that white is the base, then Fullerton is diverse. But if we look at diversity holistically, then I don't think Fullerton, or at least that part of Fullerton, is very diverse. Mm. I don't know what the the demographics are, but I would say the majority, right? Um, then it's not because you're not going to have any friends that are not like you. And that's also not, at least from my perspective, the environment in which I want my kids to grow up being exposed to various you know, types of cultures and foods and cuisines. And, and so this is not a knock against any of my friends or you know anybody who went back to Fullerton because that's where they grew up or that's go, they go there because it's a great place, right? Schools are good, safety. You know, I don't keep in touch with a lot of my friends from that part of my life, but we're all Korean. And I've been very lucky. I, I've lived here. I've lived in Michigan. I lived in New York City. So, like, I've sort of seen, as you have too, Jang, like, different parts of America that are really cool. And you learn a lot about not only about other people, but about yourself when you expose yourself in a very diverse way. Um, and so it, it's something that we constantly think about. See, I had the same same uh, thoughts, but mm-hmm. I'm on the other extreme, I think. Because I... I live out in very rural Washington state where there is like 1% Asian and mostly um, it's mostly Caucasian and 40% Hispanic. Um, Mm. Initially when we moved here, we didn't really think it was going to be a big problem, but I do think that um, as my child's growing, she's going to need more, not just more diversity, but I want her to have a base of, peers her age that does that do look like her um so that um you know if you have a different shaped eyes it's not a problem you know it's not abnormal and uh or if you eat something different um yes other people can be open to it but um you know it's 
when I, you know, well, my, when my husband texts her, you know, kimbap for lunch, it's a interesting commodity towards her, you know, among her peers. Should it be really that weird? Right? Like, it's great the kids can be curious and they, they're open to it, but um, there's a different layer when uh, it's, it's not something that is new to other kids, right? Yeah, so I, I think we're, we end up at the same place, right? But like, it's mm -hmm. maybe I'm, I'm searching for something that doesn't exist and I, I want to create my own like diversity utopia somewhere. But I want diversity, but I don't want that much diversity. Like, I want there to be, not, okay, I take that back. I want Korean <laughs> exposure. I, I uh, want our, my kids to be in a place where being Korean isn't like being ostracized, but I at least don't want it to be where they then become the dominant majority voice in which they see other kids differently, right? Mm. And so the, the reason why when you're the only Korean kid in a room full of white kids is that they become the majority and they become what they would consider normal right. and you become mm -hmm. different. But when you're in an environment where the room is 70% Korean, then you become normal and then you start calling other kids different. Mm -hmm. the, the point of diversity, and equity and inclusion isn't for us to be the dominant voice. It's for all of us to be included, right? So that's sort of like the way I feel. And so like geography, I think of where to raise your family is a constant, constant discussion. Um, you know, when we moved back from Michigan back to L.A. with with one kid, like we, we settled on Playa Vista just because it was closer to where my wife works going to be. It was like five minutes from the airport and I was constantly traveling. So but that wasn't where we had intended to like settle and, and put down our roots. And we're, you know, nearby now as we think about like where we want to go next to, to like really like, you know, settle down and, and go down that path. I, I don't think there's a perfect answer. I think. If you talk to my parents or, you know, some of our other family friends, it's like, why don't you just go back to Fullerton? Like, it's comfortable, right? It's safe. It's whatever. Or, you know, like go to Irvine or, or whatever, you know, any any of these like suburbs that are like very similar in in uh, demographics and nature. And, and to be frank, like I, I might I might be wrong here, but I don't think that's what I want. You know, where, where we live now in our in our little community, it's, there's quite a bit of diversity, racially speaking, you know, socioeconomically, not very much, obviously. Right. Because sort of in the same neighborhood, but there's no conclusion and I think it's an active discussion that many families and many couples have as, as they go on. If, if you're listening to this, at least we're not going to provide any answers for you. We're just going to share with you like what we think and sort of the thought process and experiences that we have had. No, and to give a little context, my wife was, uh, she wasn't born there, but she was raised in Corvallis, Oregon. It's a small college town in central Oregon that is home to Oregon State University. Um, her dad went to school there many years ago and decided just to never leave. So like, that's a very different environment too. It's, there are small pockets of uh, Korean Americans there based on the, the graduate school community and people who've settled. Being in a college town, there's also highly educated people. And, you know, for a long time, like HP was like the biggest employer in town. So like she grew up with a very different contextual understanding of diversity and what it means. And, and so it's really fascinating. So when you and Kyungha met, like how um, were, was there a difference in terms of how you define yourself, each other? Like, well, how you define yourself uh, as a, you know, Korean or Korean-American or in the, in what her, because, you know, the culture, I think, is very interesting yeah. to me in that even if we're both all Korean-Americans, right, 
or mm. um, there's kind of a, it's a mix of Koreanness and Americanness in some ways, and the the percentages of each culture can be very yeah. different. Um, or what what you take and what you don't take from each uh, culture. And that's been a very um, interesting point for me because throughout the throughout my life, percentages of each culture have differed throughout my life. I think so. And I think this all goes back to sort of what we wanted to really focus on to the right least end up talking about, which is sort of like COVID and the influence mm-hmm. and the changes that we have within our own home because... Right. We can attribute environment all we want, but what your kid learns, what they prioritize, how they see themselves, and particularly from a Korean identity perspective, a lot of it is how you talk about it at home. It's a lot of it is what language you speak at home and, and sort of the things that you expose your kids to. And and so as we mentioned, you know, near the top of the show, like a lot of this has been really brought on by um, the last I don't know, six months, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, when, when Kyungwa and I met, she went to Oregon State, stayed in her hometown, went to pharmacy school in Portland. And her entire thing was like, I got to get the hell out of Oregon. I, I need to go somewhere different, bigger, whatever. So she transferred with her company at the time. And this is like crazy how life happens. But, you know, they were basically like, oh, you want to go to Southern California? Oh, you speak Korean? Cool. There's an opening for you at the Koreatown store. Oh, wow. Yeah, crazy, right? So so she moves to Koreatown here in LA, like sight unseen, right? Like she doesn't have very many friends here. Um, And uh, I was working at AAA at the time selling insurance in downtown, which happened to be the closest office location to Koreatown. Um, And so you guys are going to find out how the hell we met. Um, (laughs) This is a crazy ass story. So, uh, and, and she's very meticulous about detail and making sure that things are up to date and, you know, the records wise. So, uh, I don't know if actually people do this, but like when you move, you're supposed to transfer your AAA membership to a different state because it's state by state different. Um, and who knew? And, and so one, who knows? And two, who actually does it? Right. My wife. By the book. So I, exactly. So. One of the first things that she did was like, she, you know, she's like, I got to do all this stuff. And so, um, and so unbeknownst to her, the only reason I got to pick up the phone call was the phone rang and my service manager, Karen, picked up the phone and it was just this like fortuitous like thing happened because we had this like up system where like you have phone duty and you're not on phone duty. Mm -hmm. I was not on phone duty at the time. At one point, I was like, I need to go either eat or go to the bathroom. But like, I just sat there for whatever reason. And it was meant to be. Uh, it is, right? So, and the way that my desk and Karen's desk was positioned was like facing each other. So, like, we could like hand gesture to each other. And so she got um, this call from this new person that was coming in from Oregon to do a membership transfer. Membership transfers technically is not a revenue generating call. So it's not necessarily forwarded on to salespeople. It's something that Karen could have done. But because Karen's a genius, she goes, and we all know if they're changing their membership, they need new insurance. So maybe you can get on the phone and upsell the insurance and make yourself some money. There's a lot of thoughts going into this. So so like the the universe had to line up perfectly, right? So she's like hand gesture me like, hey, 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 get the phone call, right? And 
And, and so, and, and this, the next decision that I made perhaps was the most important decision of my entire life. So it's in like the CRM thing. So like she ports the thing over and while like, you know, I'm like reading her file, like for 10 seconds, just to see if I can get any information. Um, and it says like, you know, Kyungwa Hong. And in that sort of in that Koreatown community, like if you see a Korean name, there's some good reason to pick up the phone in Korea. Right? Because it yeah. might be it's in LA. right, there's a Everybody good chance. Right. Yeah. Right. But for whatever effing reason, I'm like, okay. She's from Oregon. I'm just gonna say hello. Years later, months later, she goes, Yeah, if you said Yaboseo, I probably would have like been like freaked out. Because you've been like, how the hell do you know it's me? Like, because then she would have felt like, oh, you just put me to the Korean guy. Oh. Which, so you know, so. Things, yeah. It's crazy, right? Anyway, so I, I pick up the phone. I talk to her. We we do the membership. I upsell her in the insurance. Um, we could have done the paperwork over the phone. I lied. I told her I needed her to come <laughs> in the next day to fill out the paperwork in person. Because I wanted to meet her in person. manipulation here. It wasn't manipulation. It was it was meant to be. So phone call Tuesday. She came into the office Wednesday. I texted her on Thursday. We went out for the first time Friday. And like, yeah, that's how it happened. And then um, I, yeah, and I definitely broke some HR policy because you're not supposed to text customers to ask them out on dates. But you just needed to work once. So anyway, that's the context. And And so when we met, it was different because she had been living in Corvallis for 20 some odd years since she was three. But her cultural understanding, her language and everything was 100% because her parents raised her and her sisters with that as a priority. Yeah, I was very right? surprised that she's actually speaking Korean um, yeah. growing up in Oregon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when that you think t- about... It takes a lot of effort. Right. So when you when you, you know, play the generalization game and say, okay, if a Korean American woman who's now twenty something was born in Korea in been here since three, you'd probably assume they don't speak Korean, at least not fluently as she mm-hmm. uh, did and does. But she did. And we got along and I came here when I was eight. Um I never like lost my Korean. Um, but also I at that time, I was doing a lot of work within LA in different like sales activities, and um, so that Korean was always being good. spoken. Because my my husband yeah. came when he was seven, and he lost all his Korean. And when he went back to Korea for eighth grade, he had to relearn. Like, well, but I, I think even when we talked about that seven-year gap in Fullerton, right? Like that's mm-hmm. this is the exposure, and and so I always joke with like I, I spent most of my like social life in Korea too, or Koreatown. Um, so like my, my reading ability is 100% because of Norabang, because that's the only time I have to read Korean. That's right. right? My husband learned Korean, uh, reading all the Banatek. Right. Something fun. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, when, when the, the bars are going fast and you're drinking, like that's, that's Korean education. Um, which I haven't gotten in like years, so my, my reading has gone to shit. A lot of how our kids view themselves in the Korean identity, how they view our food and the exposure to different cultural things and languages are mainly going to be driven by how we control the environment at home, 
right? So do you and, do you have these conversations with your wife about how much of Korean mess mm-hmm. you want to yes. plug into their lives? All the time, all the time. Because I don't. I mean, are you one of those parents who spoke, speak Korean only at home? No, absolutely not. Um, That's so hard. I don't. tried and it's just not working for me. It sucks for me. I'm like, well, <laughs> shit, I, I can't even say that, right? Like, or I mean, there there are times I'm sure some parents would be like, yeah, we don't teach our kids Korean. So like, that's how mommy and daddy talk. And kids have no idea what's, you know, it's our, it's our secret language. I think I think it's a lot more effort than I thought yeah. it would be. I, I had um, just assumed that she would kind of learn because my husband and I usually talk in English. Well, I mean, they know words. But, Both um, of our kids know words. Yeah. But, uh, like, full sentence structure, he, he sort of rejects it. That's the thing. Like, I think um, already, like, I can see her understanding and um, developmentally much more English. Yeah. So, for her to... She understands a lot more than she talks, but then it's very hard to Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, he, he says Korean with, like, that white boy accent already. And I'm like, dude... <laughs> How you're 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 three, yep. bro. Like, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so I, I don't know, you know, and, and and we're looking at the next like at least six months of you know not going back to preschool and sort of you know taking over academic duties here, uh, you know, within our own home. And and so, well, how do you, how do you do that? So talk about that, you know, mm-hmm. like with the COVID, you guys both work mm-hmm. and you have two little ones. Yeah, like, so. How are you we, we are that? super duper lucky and I accept all the privilege and we, we are lucky because Kyungwa's sister lives with us. Oh. Yeah, so Kyungwa's sister uh, lives with us. She moved down to LA um, around the time we moved back to LA. Um, it worked out for everybody. She had wanted to move away from Corvallis or at least try something different. Mm-hmm. Um, living with mm-hmm. us would give her an opportunity to do it at less financial risk. Also with mm-hmm. a community where she wouldn't have to tackle a brand new oh, city. So they have emo. With yeah. Them. So oh, Jacob grew up with emo ever since he was uh, six months old. She works in management at a retail place nearby. And luckily, not luckily, circum- whatever, luckily or not, they shut down in March and April. So um, we've been lucky because she's been home. Um, and so we sort of triangulate our schedules. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so, you know, so it's not two people job. It's three it, it is. Job. Yeah. It, it, it is split between three people and especially, and then we made that arrangement, especially because, um, I knew I would be traveling a lot starting the summer of 2017. Mm-hmm. And so Kyungwa didn't want to be at home with the kid. And I said, that's completely fair when I would be on business trip. So at least if your sister is there, that at least, you know, you never have to sleep alone yeah. in a sense. Um, yeah. and so, you know, it's, it's been really, really good um i mean from from a scheduling perspective it's been challenging but i we realize how, how lucky and blessed we are for folks who i guess don't know what my day job is like podcasting is my day job we run multiple shows we do shows for other people i run a media company like literally from the corner of my bedroom and so i'm home all the time i don't you know and i get to generally control my own schedule but i have a question about that so you know i just transitioned um to working from home as well. But also I think the downside of it, well, I mean, I don't know if it's downside, maybe I'll just get used to it. But like, for example, um, the, not even the minute. Second, I, you know, put my foot outside of my office. I have to switch yeah. to mommy yeah. mode. And 
and um you know at least i used to have like that 10 minutes um drive where i could like kind of de-stress and switch over but i don't have that luxury anymore because you know it's not like she's going to school right now so so how do you you don't you you don't (laughs) it's hard as hell because i think even before you talk about Mm -hmm. physically switching your mentality you got to think about the guilt that comes with so for a lot of us we, we live and die by our calendar now right do you have a meeting right do you have time blocked and not even talking about how others view whether you're free or not it's so easy to be like okay i've done a bunch of meetings i've done a bunch of recordings and now and yes i have 20 other things that i just have to do reports and projects and pitches and decks but it seems very arbitrarily binary and i know it's not binary but it's either you're working or you're not right are you actively working or you're not and when the benefit to not working is then i can go downstairs and hang out with the kids at least a little while then it's really hard to sit here and work on stuff when you're not actively engaged with somebody else right like and and so it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse the blessing is that you know for at least a little while or at least to a certain extent um you can uh control your own schedule you can time block you can you know protect certain important moments um but at the same time you want to spend time with your kids right and i think that's partially my desire right um i'll i guess this is a nice like sort of moment to also share like why what was my actual impetus for leaving consulting one it was around the time we're staying away so far it sucked oh sure and and you know the the goal wasn't like you know I, i have my own feelings about consulting in general which uh we can talk about another day but um I don't think the travel is necessary to the extent that consulting companies make you travel. Um, there, there are smarter ways to do it. And I hope that those folks realize as we go through COVID and that you can actually like life doesn't end or that your company doesn't go bankrupt just because you're not traveling that people sort of, uh, allow parents at least, and just even non-parents, the, the flexibility to, you know, work from the comfort of their own home or that, you know, Literally, physically being at the client set is not necessary. But uh, second kid was born 18 months ago, so March of 19. Um, we had loosely given ourselves like that two-year mark to try to get through consulting and um, exit as, as necessary. But the thing that really made me want to quit and actually was sort of that decision of like actively I am going to. So my first kid's birthday is in December. And that year happened to fall on a Monday. And at the time, I was going to a project out in Detroit. So LA to Detroit is a really, really shitty red eye. It's a three and a three hours and 45 minute flight. I've done it before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, un, it's a sub four hour flight across three time zones, which means if you jump on the 10 p.m. flight in LA, your brain thinks it's two, but then you land at five. So it's a really, really shitty mind altering travel so what we decided to do as a team at least for me and the other west coast person is that we would work from home generally on monday fly at night and then meet the team there on tuesday morning which was generally how we we did most of it 
except this particular Monday. And, and so uh, knowing that it was my, my, obviously knowing that it was my son's birthday, I emailed my senior manager and I said, hey, my son's birthday is on Monday. I'd at least like to spend a little bit of the day with him. He's turning two and yada, yada, yada. And let's, can I just do what we normally do? Um, and there were a couple of times where like a Monday morning meeting with the client was necessary. So I would do the Sunday thing and, you know, make it work. And this was also to give full context, like the managing director was at a different conference. The manager was at somewhere else. So it was just going to be me, her, and our, um, our, our um, analyst. So there's three of us. And she goes, well, you know, actually, there's a lot of things that I want to work with you on. So, like, I need you to meet me in Detroit on Monday morning. And I was like, well, that fucking sucks. I realize I'm cursing a lot. And Kyungwa, I'm sorry. I'm, I, uh, she's probably like, God damn it. Um, but. She's swearing. Uh, huh? She's going to be swearing. Uh, for you. Well, maybe. <laughs> um, they make me come. I take the red eye against all, like. And I'm pissed, right? Sad, but pissed. Because yeah. um, that was one of the things that I really wanted to be there for, right? Now, some folks who uh, might be saying, yo, he's two. He would have never remembered. But don't forget, I remember, right? And there's a reason why I'm, I'm telling you this story many years later. So I go to Detroit. And then typically, like, we would start a little bit later in the day. So, like, you get in at 5, you go to the hotel, you take a nap, like, you get ready. Mm-hmm. And then because she wanted to meet at 9, I was like, I don't have time for that. So, like, I, you know, showered. I'm, mm-hmm. like, groggy, didn't sleep, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I, I'm sitting there in the goddamn conference room at the client's office. And then she goes, hey, uh, feel sick, uh, waiting to go to the doctor. Uh, didn't jump on my flight this morning, so I'll call you later. Oh, oh. yeah. What the fuck? So I'm sitting there, and then my analyst comes in. She was coming in from uh, Chicago, and like she saw like the the anger on my face, and she's like, "I was like, this is nothing against you, but it's my kid's birthday, and I'm just gonna be sitting here with you all day because what's her face was just a total." you know, inconsiderate third. Never an apology. Never make up. Never, oh shit, I forgot it was your son's birthday. I'm so sorry. None of that, right? It was just, and, and so she could have told me the night before because she felt ill Sunday morning, decided not to jump on the Monday morning flight, which means she could have emailed and said, yo, I'm not going to be there in the morning. Just come at your leisure and I would have changed my flight to come Monday night. Right. Uh, We do that all the time. Like changing last minute flights is not a big deal in the industry. So anyway, so it was that day on my kid's second birthday. I said, F this because. Yes, sacrifices sometimes need to be made. Every parent makes a sacrifice uh, professionally for the betterment of their kids. But that wasn't it. Sitting in cold as Detroit by myself uh, on my kid's birthday, that was not, you know, and, and because you know, everybody, I think everybody has that kind of moment, right? Like where life altering kind of like, I've got to put something into action kind of. And I hope more of us prioritize family and mental health and happiness and just going along with what your company wants you to do or, you know, what you think is, is the right business move. But anyway, that was the day I decided to leave. And then so, you know, with this thing that I'm doing now, and it's been about um, actively for the last six months, but passively for the last year, as we, you know, try to build this thing, like it's always been a priority for me to never miss important moments with my family because 
similar to you, Jang, like you're, you're venturing down on your own practice and being an entrepreneur. If you're not going to prioritize the things that are important to you when you have full control of your schedule, like when would you, when will you ever get to that point where you fully prioritize it? Right? Like it's. A, well, I think, I think part of it, part of the, the way that um, we're thinking about this is because um, we have the luxury to think about it, right? We, we have to admit like massive amount of ridiculous privilege that we have to be able to pursue something that we are passionate about and that we feel is the right play. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I admit that I, I, not everybody gets to put that aside and, and pursue uh, business for themselves or, you know, Make, make time for your family. I think about that about my parents, yeah. right? Like our parent generation. I think they they have a different set of priorities. Uh, and, and whether your parents are, you know, immigrants here or they're back in Korea or wherever, um, they were children of post-war. They were children of a depressed economy. Their literal one objective was survival for themselves and for us. They had to keep us alive and put food on the table. And then so we go from like one generation of that into like, oh, we're going to pursue happiness. That's a big ass shift. Like, I don't know, like we, we've jumped multiple ladders on Maslow's hierarchy of needs in like one generation. And that's right. I, I think that 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 improvement is very great. But also as a, uh, somebody who's in between the generation. Oh, my God. Absolutely. And I where there's so much to think about. Right. Because our our thoughts are shifting. And then so then um like I think about myself, but also my child, like how do I, how I raise my child is going to be so different from how I was raised. So this is a constant battle. Like how much of um, values that I was yeah. instilled, do I want to filter that through or block it out? Right? Yeah. I, it's, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there, there's no right way. There's no correct way. I think you, do what you and your partner decide on is, is the right way forward. Um, and I guess it really goes back to um, like, you have to have a goal, right? Like what, what is, what, what is the goal of being a parent? What is your goal for, what, what is a mission statement? What is your purpose in being a parent? Like, what do you want your kids out to? What do you want your kids to be? How do you want them to be? Right. And that really, I think informs a lot of the decisions that we make. Um, sure. There's a lot of stereotypical jokes in our community about, you know, like go to a certain school, you know, have a certain job, have a certain, you know, certain letters after your name. And like, but I, th I think, I think, I think, you know, the parents I meet through uh, my practice, but also parents that uh, my friends or colleagues that are front, uh, parents now, um, a lot of the Korean Americans, I, I think our, our thoughts on our children are shifting, right? It's not about like going to the, yes, it's important, but, um, but you know, it's not the number one priority. It's a byproduct of right. having a successful life in general and what you do with that platform. I think the obsession over achievement and meritocracy where if you go to a certain school and get that degree, then life is over or that like, where do you, you know, it's this never ending cycle. And so I agree, school is important. It offers opportunities. Um, I've been the beneficiary of it. Both you, me, and our, our partners have 
you know, uh, advanced degrees that allow us to have these conversations and, and certain privileges. So I am not poo-pooing higher education, but it shouldn't be the end-all be-all and certainly not the way you measure a parent's success or not, because I think a lot of, um, you know, a lot of parents, Korean parents, older school parents, like take credit for sending their kids to certain schools. Right. Um, but what happens afterwards? I, it's right. So like a lot of uh, high achieving doctors, lawyers, engineers, whatever, they go through that in their midlife because they're like, wait a minute, I was told to race here and I did. And now that I'm here, like I, nobody told me what the next thing is because now it's 30, 40 years of being that. I think that's what I went through myself personally. And also I see that a lot in um, young adult populations that I see um, in my practice. And I, uh, you know, and and I know that parents, my generation, um, uh, think a lot about that. And there's definitely a very specific, something very specific about being a Korean American, the burden that we, share but also the strength and the weaknesses that we share and and i think that's something that's the crux of why we're having this talk today because you or me i don't have all all the solutions or the answers but but i think by having this talk um uh on a kind of more public forum so that uh, that that we can share our thoughts but also we can share other people's thoughts about this and kind of generate more um, more interest and thoughts. We're not here to tell you how to raise your kids. Uh, we have a hard time raising our own as it is. Um, <laughs> but what we want to do, and, and I, I think for me, um, I want to normalize talking about it. That's all. I, I want to mm-hmm. normalize yeah. parents' uh talking publicly privately about parenting uh, for me especially as a dad i want to normalize dudes talking about parenting and not feel um again that silent additional silent burden as you know tanais or macho men that like we have to be tough and emotionally you know absent um because i know that perhaps not me personally but as a generation a lot of our dads were like that. And so how do we, again, generational and cultural and even geographical shift from the way we were raised generally, how do we learn to be something that we weren't exposed to? Um, in if dads out there want to be very different, um, like it's hard. And I, I just, you know, the goal of this too, beyond the podcast, eventually to create a place and a space, a community where people can come together and talk about these things. And, um, you know, uh, we haven't, I guess this is a nice time to announce that we'll have episodes where you can submit questions and, you know, Jang will answer them from a professional perspective, um, just sharing her thoughts as, as a fellow parent on, on, you know, how do we tackle together or, you know, look at certain things, but, um, so yeah, if you've stayed on with us for a while, uh, thank you, whatever you're doing. Uh, we realize, um, as, as a guy who makes a lot of podcasts, asking people to listen to yet another podcast is a big ask, and we are ever so grateful, especially we realize that nobody's driving, nobody's going to the gym, uh, parents are constantly <laughs> at home. No, 
podcast. Um, you're, you're, you're attack, you're, you're, you know, I don't know. Um, you're wrestling with your kids all day. And then at night you're like, I got some free time. And, um, but this is the result of us, uh, the two of us talking to our partners, talking to our friends. And, um, this was the result of just, Hey, is there a conversation, uh, amongst Korean parents, Asian parents, even Asian American parents about just what we're all going through. And the answer is probably, yeah. But the other part too, was I think that, you know, we think that our unique perspectives, um, from our professional backgrounds, from our cultural backgrounds, and, um, just the things that we care about and value. Um, we thought that we would start this conversation not just between the two of us um, going forward we're going to invite some friends of ours um, early on we'll hear from educator friends uh, to talk specifically about the topics of how we manage COVID education at home whether you have young tiny people at home or grown-ass children who are frustrated because they want to go back to school um, you know we'll, we'll talk to other friends of ours who you know through their professional expertise can shed a little bit of light on not only how to parent our children, but also how we take care of ourselves. Um, I think one thing that didn't... And how to grow as a parent. Yeah, I mean, one of the unfortunate things I think that we didn't unlearn from our parents um, or any parent generation is um, that loss of self-identity and self-care um, keeps going down, down. And, and I know moms talk about it a lot, right? You know, like, I need me time. I need a long time. Um, moms and dads, I think we, especially now, because, you know, I, I say I hated business travel a lot, but like, dude, I got the best sleep on the road because it was dark, it was quiet, it was alone, there was no crying baby. And whether that release for you as a parent was going to work, whether it was going to the gym, whether it was um, any sort of, um, you know, community, social or religious, you know, activity, that's all on pause right now. So we're, we're also dealing with uh, a crisis of uh, a lack of release and community building. And so what we want to do, what we hope to do is to bring these conversations to light so that we all feel a little bit less alone in uh, parenting and making sure that we are raising good little humans, um, happy little humans, but also to make sure that we take care of ourselves along the way. And so we'll also have some guests uh, throughout the episodes that will share with us self-care tips, um, you know, community building, presence for our kids, academic and educational, but also just fun stuff. Um, we'll also bring on people to talk how we deal with family. Um, towards the holidays, we'll, we'll talk a lot about, um, and this will be timely relevant um, to how the, the public health situation is in a couple months, but We'll bring on some people to say, hey, how do you tell your parents that we can't go over for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Solar because it's just not safe to do so? Um, I haven't seen my, I've seen my parents three times in the last six months. And while it actually has been a blessing <laughs> sometimes uh, to not have to have the expectation that we see them every other weekend, um, it's challenging. Right, because we're so close yet, yet so far. Um, and so, if you're listening to us, uh, thank you. Um, if you want to join in on the conversation, 
Uh, you can follow us along wherever you can uh, at Korean American Parenting. Uh, check the show notes. There are going to be uh, links for you to connect with me and Jang personally if you have any questions. Our first uh, Ask Jang episode uh, is going to be in early October, so we'll figure out a way to um, collect questions that you may have. And as mentioned before, we are going to create an online community where people can come together and, and share um, whatever it is that's on their mind so that we can share resources and best practices and help each other um, get through, not get through, uh, you know, parent the best way possible. Um, yeah, it's, and again, I'm going to reemphasize, re we're two parents just like you. Uh, we don't know better than you. We are not going to, we hope that we're not coming from a tone of you should or a very directive. Um, that's not the point of these conversations. We just want to talk about things that uh, we think that many parents have on their minds that we don't necessarily get to. Yeah, just to add, um, throughout my career, I listened to a lot of parents who struggle with their children, both Korean or non-Korean. And the theme, underlying theme for all parents uh, whether you have a successful child or, uh, or a struggling child, is that what, parent wa what parents want for ch their children is for them to have happy, healthy uh, life that is productive for the society. Um, th those three are very simple, but very complicated um, thoughts. And I, I think about that for my own child as well. And this is something that Jerry and I uh, are creating in order to talk about how to raise our children to be happy and healthy and productive uh, partners in the society that we live in. And hopefully this would be something that everybody um, would, would agree to. If you have suggestions for us, if you have uh, questions, if you have unsettled arguments from your home, that you want us to give input on. Uh, we take no responsibility for what comes of what we share with you. But if you have things that you'd like us to discuss, At least we're going to talk, we're about, it. talk about it. Um, okay. And, uh, you know, I don't agree with my wife on everything. And I don't think Jeng agrees with her husband on everything either. And certainly Jeng and I don't agree on everything either. And that's what makes parenting so beautiful yet challenging is that there's no one right way to raise a kid, let's put big numbers out there. Seven billion people are alive today, which means tens of billions of people have been born and raised by a combination of literally billions of different parents. And by and large, we turn out healthy. By and large, we turn out okay. And so there's no one right way. Um, but as the world changes so quickly with the advent of uh, social issues, with the progression of technology and things that just make the world very different. Uh, we hope that you join us every week to hear our take on parenting. Um, personally and selfishly, this is extremely fun and therapeutic for me just to talk as well, um, especially for the dads out there. Uh, join us on the show if you want to share your thoughts. Um, single parents out there, um, you know, we want to be as wide and as open and that as engaging and as inclusive as we can and so the way that jang and i define korean american parenting is as broad as you can think of um, are you a korean american and are you a parent yes 
you parent Korean children? Perhaps you are not Korean, but you married one or that you have children with one. Um, are you an adoptee, adopted parent of a Korean child? Um, are you a grandparent? All these amazing categories of Korean American parenting are, we hope to represent you and your voices on our show. So uh, reach out. All those links will be in the show notes again. And uh, we'll see you next time as we meet with our friend Yurei, who is a educator and a mother herself of two beautiful children. And so be well, be safe, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.